Welcome back to the Ottawa studios of Inside Mike Newhead, where today we are going to talk about food security. We are starting what has been traditionally known as the starving season. So sit back, grab yourself your favorite beverage, or hang on to the wheel. Here we go. So, you know, the world is a bit of a busy place, shall we say, right now. And today is marks the beginning of what we traditionally have experienced in the human species as the starving season. Now, the, the seasons work with farming and agricultural and harvesting, especially in North America here where we go through the difficult months of the winter, in that you would grow your crops, you would harvest in the fall, you would can, preserve, whatever, you would stockpile it away, and it would get you through the winter, right? You would have the ability in the dark days of the winter to stay warm through a fire. You would have some sort of stored provisions to get you through the winter. And the starving season begins as spring emerges, and nature has not yet started to provide food. The seeds are not they're sprouting in the windows, but they're not in the ground yet. And we're still 70 days away right now from the first crops coming up. And we are running out of our winter provision. So traditionally, this has been the starving season. This has been the time where the majority of uh, cases related to malnutrition would occur in the human condition. And as I talk about that, I think it's important to think about we live in a modern developed society. You know, the vast majority of listeners to this podcast lived in developed or developing and almost at the OECD level uh, community. So we have access to things like grocery stores, etc. Right. But food security is an important thing, especially for two reasons. One, we've seen some significant disruptions in the way food has been distributed over the last year. And second of all, uh, the majority of the world is under some form of economic pressure, right? So, you know, we are all feeling it in one way or another that the food budget doesn't seem to go the extent that it used to, either from a lack of income and increased prices or lack of availability or probably more than likely a combination of all three. So why is this important? Well, as I said, your animalistic requirements that keep you alive, one of them is food. For preparedness, you have your timeline. You've decided you want to be prepared for a certain amount of time. You've done an assessment. You've parked that amount of food away. Like our start point is always 14 days. So you've got that food supply, likely just a little bit extra of what you normally eat is what people do. And we know the humans need some type of balance of carbohydrates, fats, and proteins and essential nutrients. Now, there are a myriad of a number of different diets, sensitivities, etc. out there. I'm not going to get into what I recommend you eat because that would be foolish because I'm not a nutritionist, right? But also day to day, we like to eat, we like to enjoy our food. And traditionally in the human gregarious condition, the end of the day meal has been the gathering of people together after a day's activities to socially eat, to provide nutrients to their body and to just converse on um, our day. And in a lot of North American families, at least, it's been traditional to get together for supper. Everybody's out and doing their thing all day, school, work, whatever it may be. 
farmers out in the field, everybody comes back together. So as we look at the modern family, let's just compartmentalize it to a developed nation. You're facing inflation, uh, various different degrees, but here in North America, especially in Canada, food inflation is outpacing regular inflation. Uh, access, you see disruptions in supply chain stability with um, certain products, depending on where you live. Uh, normally products from afar, products that are shipped in via different modes of transportation, they come internationally or from far distances, have less than a steady supply. Uh, and, it, and it's difficult to count on it. As well, you have difficulty with uh, certain industries in regions of the world. Now, each of us are going to have something different. Um, but then we have to balance it between the discussion on necessities and luxuries, right? There are certain types of food you like to eat, specialty food that comes from a different part of the world. They're luxurious. It's not really required. But your diet is your diet. What your family eats and what your family wants to eat is a very specific thing and likely not the same, right? But in times of economic struggle, there's a phrase in economics that you hear often is people, they go down market. And down market simply means that people go to lower cost providers of food, food basics, um, no frills. It might be Costco, it may be Walmart, Sam's Club, uh, Dollar Tree, Dollar General, or stores like that, that people are looking for bargains on traditional food that they've been used to. Uh, we now, we have conversations about what's called substitutes, right? I might uh, not buy Heinz ketchup. I might buy te cheap ketchup, but I tell you, you're crazy. There's nothing better than Heinz ketchup. So with all of this and challenges to food security and the raising cost of food, let's let's stop yammering about it. W what's your solution? Like what what can you as an individual and you as a head of household, are you responsible for groceries do about managing food security. Number one is you need to be able to figure out a way, and it's the principle of preparedness, right? You need to reduce your exposure to inflation, disruption, global and regional events that influence both the availability and the cost of the food that you're after, right? That's the principal idea behind it. Number one is something referred to as the 100-mile diet. Now, this was a fad, call it whatever. It's a challenge to say that if you think about basic principles, humans have been living where you live for 150 years, maybe 1,000 years, maybe 10,000 years before grocery stores existed, which means in your area, there is sufficiently nutrient-dense food to keep human beings alive. So the 100-mile diet was, I take out all of the risk associated with events that occur outside my very specific defined region by not consuming foods that come from anywhere but my specifically defined region. I live in Ottawa, right? So I eat food or I try my best and there are some exceptions that I'll mention in a moment. I eat food that is created and made in the Ottawa region, right? In the valley. So it's a little bit more than, a, well, 100 miles is about 160 kilometers. So in reality, I, I try my best to eat within that area, which means for me, when Florida has a flash freeze and loses half of the citrus 
it has zero effect on me because I don't eat any products from there. Uh, when California has a drought and they're raising all those, I, I, I don't eat products from there. So it doesn't influence me whatsoever. I eat as much as I can. Now, there are a few things. I love sea salt. There is no sea salt within a uh, hundred miles of where I live, right? So I have to import my salt. There are certain spices that are not grown here that I import. So yes, there are luxuries that are imported into the area, but I do my best in a hundred mile diet. So what does that mean practically? So buy your meat if you're a meat consumer. I buy my meat from a farmer, right? Have you ever gone to... Uh, there's a store here where there's a place called Ottawa Valley Meats. So it's basically a storefront for a conglomeration of a whole bunch of local farmers. It's direct farmer to consumer, no grocery store in the middle, no warehousing distribution, massive feedlot, anything like that in the middle. It's the farmer to you. I want meat. I get it from a farmer, right? I want vegetables. If I eat vegetables, for the last couple of years, I've subscribed to a CSA, a customer, uh, a community supported agriculture. So in the months of you know January and February, I pay several hundred dollars to my local farm. Like the farm is literally 30 kilometers from my house. And I buy boxes of vegetables that have yet to even be planted. So the farmer and I get together, we take a risk on whether it will be a good or a bad season, a bounty harvest or a poor harvest. We both take that risk together. I provide them, you know, four or $500 in February. And then starting in July, right until October, I get a large box of fresh vegetables um, that literally three human beings have touched and were picked yesterday. Like that simple. And the vegetables are delivered in the season that they're grown, right? So in the beginning, I get some onions, I get some garlic, and I get a bunch of berries and strawberries when they come out. And then as the season progresses through, you start to see the potatoes emerge, you start to see the beans emerge, uh, Brussels sprouts, you start to see this comes with season. So if California has a massive drought and there's a huge spike in the prices of all of the imported products from it, who cares? Like, I don't eat it. Like, it doesn't bother me. Now, I'll pay it if I go to a restaurant to buy a meal. I understand that, but that's a luxury, right? I don't have to eat out of groceries. I have absolute, complete control of the source of the food that I feed right? It's that simple. I get my produce locally. I get my meat locally. I get the majority of my spices I need locally. And there are very few luxuries that I import, right? And it's not more expensive. I tell you, if you look to feed a family of three worth of vegetables and try to do that for a fresh growing season on $500 right now, I think you'd be hard-pressed. And oh, by the way, that head of romaine lettuce you get in the grocery store, my friends, that's not fresh. You have no idea how long ago that was chopped uh, and brought in. And so in the winter, what I do is I try to store, preserve what I can, but really I eat, the vegetables get eaten as they should, fresh and wonderful. And then over the winter, I eat frozen vegetables. 
And there's a processing plant not too far from where the valley is. And I eat frozen local vegetables. And because a frozen vegetable is right now, it's, it's March, right? And, and if you look all these fresh veggies in the grocery store, uh, they're not fresh. Go outside, right? It's freezing. We're under like, we got like eight feet of snow or something ridiculous here, right? There's no such thing as a fresh vegetable in a grocery store right now. Not at all. It doesn't exist, right? The nutrient density in your frozen food is far greater right now than anything fresh you would pick out of some sprayed table at a local grocery store. So generally what I do is I have control over my diet. So the 100-mile diet allows me to do that. And now you can work on subscription, right? So if you want to extend it even further, they're not the CSA farm that I use locally here in Ottawa, but there's another one up in Ottawa Valley about 100 kilometers away, and they offer 12 months of the year agricultural support because they have greenhouses, right? And they flash freeze their own produce. So in the mid, in the booming harvest season where you're producing more food than you could possibly eat or possibly sell, they do their own flash freezing. So now I don't have to buy the store brand frozen vegetables. If I choose, I can go get it from my local CSA. So I can put a box on a map that's 160 or 100 miles around, and I can feed my family with food from a farm that I can drive to and see it being planted and picked, right? Now, the first argument I get every time I bring this up, and this is the third podcast episode I have done on the value of a CSA and local farming for food security. I get the, it costs too much. I can't afford it routine all the time. And, uh, fair enough. Um, everybody's economic picture is not the same. Uh, you might not have $500 in February to give to a farmer, but if you work it out over the year, over a 12-month period, you're going to spend more than that to get less quality vegetables in the summer harvest season. And I know this individual, um, he was an ex-cook in the military. We, we served together in the, same, uh, in the same army unit. And what he used to do is he would go to the bumper crop tables. So... If you're familiar with farmer's markets, you get near the end and you start getting these 50-pound bags of green peppers and 50-pound bags of um, onions and stuff. And what he would do is he would literally like buy all this stuff for dirt cheap on the pound. And this is the end and the farmer's trying to get rid of a bumper harvest. And then he would just, you know, take two days off work or take the weekend or at night and he would just process a whole bunch of canned food right? He would make tons of spaghetti sauce, tons of salsa, tons of canned vegetables, all this stuff. And he would put it away and he would can some of it. He would freeze some of it. Dirt cheap cost next to nothing to do that uh, on top of it. And then he would build those preserves. So at this time of year in the 6th of March, he's opening the freezer and taking out a bag of flash frozen, freshly made vegetables uh, from a local farm. Uh, so there are ways to do it. I'm not going to berate the economic picture. Uh, the people that say it's too expensive to buy from a farmer. Fresh meat is far too expensive. Uh, I, I'm going to offer to you that life is about choices. Uh, we all have it to make. If you want 
to not follow the 100-mile diet, which, you know, fair enough. It's just an option I put forward. I'll give you the second and last option that is practical and doable. It's called learn to cook. And I think it's hilarious, but I'm dead serious. I mean the basics, right? So one of the stores that we have here in Ottawa, and it's it's common across Canada and, and the similar in the United States, is called Loblaws. And what Loblaws does is they're a company that gets berated all the time for profit margins. And I won't get into the in uh, the grocery industry profits uh, because they are a shareholder corporation and their number one responsibility is not to deliver fresh food, but is to deliver value for shareholders. Uh, if you don't like that, then capitalist economies probably aren't your thing. But the gig here is, is they have a number of anchor products that are dirt cheap. For example, there's a loaf of bread, $1 a day. Right. Every morning they bake several hundred loaves of white Italian or French bread. They put it out. It's huge. It's dense. And it's one dollar. Right. I can make bread in my house for all of the inputs, including the electricity to cook it in my oven for thirty seven cents. And I've done the math. I'm a nerd like that. Right. So I can make a loaf of whole wheat, whole grain, high-density, healthy food for my family for $0.37. Or you can go to the grocery store and whine and complain about $4 loaves of bread, right? Oh, you don't have time? Fair enough. We could go on and on about allocation of time. It takes three hours for me to make a loaf of bread start to finish, but within that three hours, there are 22 active minutes of work. The rest is rising in baking time where you're not actually doing anything. You set a timer to remind you that you were actually making bread and you have to get back at it. Um, when you talk about vegetables, you can decide which vegetables you want to eat. You can decide to source them, freeze them, etc. Uh, you can cook your food at home. Learn to be a great chef. I mean, there are a million YouTube channels about how to teach you to cook, to take primary, basic, and reasonably cost-effective ingredients and put it together for. Go to a place like Costco. I right, you know, when I run out of local beef from a farmer and I can't get it right away, I've been known to go to Costco and grab a plate of their steaks or beef to to fill the gaps. Uh, I'm not perfect. Every once in a while I get a bit lazy. But I will if I need to buy ground beef, for example, at the grocery store, I'm buying it seven or eight pounds at a time to get the cheapest thing. Then I get a, you know, dollar store no name freezer bags and uh or actually I use sandwich bags and I and I divide it up listen learning to cook and learning to make food that your family and you that enjoy from basic ingredients at home is an incredibly powerful tool because what that does is it separates you from the cost inflation of the prepackaged uh, food. Now, I call it manufactured good. I don't call it food. Stuff that's on a shelf in a box or something and you grab it. The idea being is, is that uh, you can do your best to reduce the cost of food through and maintaining food security for you and your family by buying primary ingredients and creating awesome, incredible food from primary ingredients instead of trying to find the product. So you have options. Food security is really, really important. If you find local areas where they grow your food, local CSA farms, 
um, local sources of meat if you eat meat, fish, etc. And you realize that if you shrink your exposure as a preparedness individual to exogenous shocks, external influences that can affect the availability and the quality of your food supply, then you take more control over your ability to meet your food requirements with the budget that you have available, right? It's not about complaining about what everybody else is doing and the cost of food or the profit margins of the Superstore or Sobeys or some other Safeway. It's about understanding that if you as an individual actually want to find a solution to maintaining and control of your food security, it's going to mean you are going to have to source foods locally or if you source foods internationally or from long distances, that you have multiple options should there be a disruption in supply. And again, the, the, the concept of what I'm talking about here applies to the majority of places around the world where you have that ability. Where it doesn't make sense are the regions around the world where we have uh, the vast majority of food is imported. So when you're looking at Northern Africa, Egypt is the number one. They are in big trouble because the vast majority of their grain, which is a staple product in their diet, is imported from Russia and Ukraine. I don't need to say anything further on that. The number one, number one and number two providers of fertilizer and fertilizer products are Ukraine and Russia. Uh, I don't want to say any more about that. The Arab Spring that overthrew the government in Egypt was because of a doubling of of uh, grain prices. It wasn't this, I'm going to uprise and change the government. No, no, no. The Arab Spring was all about food price inflation. And when we're looking at three to four times the amount of prices in the coming spring, and we're looking at half the amount of food that's available, you simply don't have enough food for everybody. There isn't enough food. So in certain areas of the world, they are looking at very different situations that are far outside the control of the individual and there are going to be a lot of discomforts in the coming year of food security uh, in many regions around the world. But if you're in a region that if you look 100 kilometers around you, 150 kilometers, 100 miles around you and food is grown there, then you adapt, right? And adapt has always been one of our strongest uh, points as preparedness individuals in that you adapt your diet to what is available locally. You learn to love what's available locally. You learn to cook from scratch with what's available locally. Now you've built part of a rock solid house and the rest of the world can go pear shape. The shizzy can hit the fizzy all around the world and you're eating like a king and queen. So thank you very much for joining us this week on Inside My Canoe Head. Please continue to drop uh, wonderful comments at insidemycanoehead.ca. Uh, sign up for the newsletter that we have there. It comes out once a week, usually on Tuesdays. Uh, and we will do our best to continue to provide you the best possible information. And if you have topics that you would like to hear on this podcast or guests that you think would uh, love to come on, Give me a shout out at jeff at preparednesslabs.ca or go to the contact us form on any of our websites or our social medias and give us feedback. Thank you very much. Take care and stay safe. Mm -hmm.